interested in counseling, but it's a framework to put all this together and to be able to counsel somebody. Then we're going to talk about the role of the Holy Spirit in counseling and the role of the Bible in counseling. We're not going to do any of this in depth because we only have an hour. So this is going to be a high-level overview. I'm going to put a resource file out on the website with some links to things that you can look at, you can read, so you can watch that will help flesh some of these things out. So anyway, let's get going. All right, so before we do, we want to exercise our little gray cells, as Hercule Poirot says. So in your groups, I want you to take, I want you to take seven minutes and I want you to think about these questions. All right, when you think of counseling, what comes to mind? What are some of the essential components of biblical counseling? What, what should be in biblical counseling? And who is qualified to counsel? All right, so take seven minutes in your groups, talk about these, and then we're going to come back and we'll get going. So if you're not in a group, now would be a great time to get into one. Okay, all right, let's wrap up our discussions and we'll get back to it. So I always hate to interrupt discussions because you guys are always look like you're having a good time. Okay, so when you think about counseling, who said something like crisis situation, difficulties, issues going on, right? Uh, maybe you thought about an office setting, who, an office setting, right? Maybe when you're thinking about who is qualified to counsel, you think about somebody with uh, degrees on the wall or uh, credentials on the wall, something like that. Okay, and those are all, those are all normal things when we think about counseling. Some of the essential components, maybe you think about uh, several meetings, or you think about homework, or you think about uh, you think about steps to do to put into practice what you're learning. Those are all all common common things to think about when we talk about counseling. If you remember when we started, I asked how many biblical counselors were in the room, and almost nobody raised their hand, okay? And I'm going to suggest because we have a deficient, or if we have a different view of counseling than what the scripture says counseling actually is. So this is a definition from Heath Lambert, and he, was the, he used to be the executive director of the Association of Certified Biblical Counselors. I have to say that slow because I'll mess it up. All right, so ACBC is an organization of lay people. And what they do is they do training in biblical counseling. So you can actually get certified by ACBC. I'm on, a, I'm on the 10-year certification track. And uh, one day... One day, right before the Lord comes back, I'll get it done. And then that'll be the sign that, that Jesus is coming back. Um, no, <laughs> okay, so, but they certify, so they do some training. But this is what he says about counseling. He wrote a thick book called A Theology of Counseling. And he said, counseling is a conversation where one party with questions, problems, and or trouble seeks assistance from someone they believe has answers, solutions, and help. And that is what biblical counseling is. So what do you guys think? Do you agree or disagree? Raise your hands if you agree with that. Raise your hands if you, yeah. Okay, 
what I like about that definition, I want to highlight a couple of things, is one, it, it says that counseling is a conversation. So counseling is always relational. Good counseling is always relational. And we're going to talk about, when we talk about the love, no speak, do model, we're going to talk about that. But, but good counseling is always relational. And the other thing I like about that is that this is an expansive view of counseling. Where, where can counseling take place? Where can you have a conversation? Anywhere, right? At a coffee shop, in your living room, in the car as you're driving, in a park, on a walk. Uh, some of you that can run and talk at the same time on a run, that's not me. So I won't be counseling you while we're running. I'll run with you, but I'm not counseling at the same time. Uh, so it can happen anywhere, right? And it can happen between two people. All you need is somebody that's got a question, a problem, or trouble, and somebody that they believe has answers. So it's a very expansive definition. And listen, this is, I think, this is a very biblical definition because this is the essence of one anothering which is not proper grammar but it's the essence of us coming alongside each other in community in family life and counseling each other it's not necessarily about I have marital issues or I have depression issues or whatever it is it's I just have questions I don't understand this I I'm confused about what God is doing. Can you help me? I'm going to take a new job. Uh, I'm thinking about taking a job. And you go to somebody and you say, what do you think about this? And they, they lay it out with you. That is biblical counseling. So we really need to open up our definition of biblical counseling. Because it's, it's way more expansive than I think we give it credit for. All right, and then who should counsel? These are some of the one another passages in scripture that talk about counseling. And what I want to highlight here is with the exception of the second Timothy passage. These are not written to somebody that has a specialized role in the church or specialized experience. Um, they're written to and don't take offense at any of this because I include myself in this. They're written to rank and file Christians. They're not written it doesn't say in Romans 12, Paul doesn't single out elders to exhort one another or elders to exhort the congregation. There's, there's other passages where Paul tells us to do that. Ephesians 4 says that uh, God gave elders to build up the church, right, for the work of ministry. So there's other places where that occurs. But really, all these one another passages are to us. So it's saying, you do this with each other when you're in conversation with each other when you're in small group with each other when you're in different situations with each other you guys do the counseling now I do want to say something about experience and wisdom because not not all wisdom is equal I guess I will say okay and so, yeah, I'm trying to figure out how to say this without offending. Um, 
you should be ca- I, I guess you should be careful about who you seek counsel from, right? Because if so look for people whose lives imitate Christ. Look for people who who are maturing Christians and that's not always easy for us to to know on the outside. Don't go to somebody who is a train wreck and ask them for advice. I guess that's what I'm saying. Okay? Because chances are you're going to get bad advice and then you're going to be a train wreck and then there's two people that are a train wreck and need counseling. Um, it's not, yeah, d- yeah blind leading the blind, right? And then you both fall into the hole. Uh, exactly. Great job. So, so be careful about seeking counsel. The other thing I want to say too is guys, we live in a digital age. It's amazing. It's fantastic. There are tons and tons of resources that if you seriously want to pursue biblical counseling, even if you don't want to get certified, you never have any interest in any of that, if you just want to learn about how to improve the craft of counseling, how to improve your wisdom, there's right now media, we're getting ready to watch a video in just a few minutes, but right now media has, I think it's, I think it's like a 30 or 32 hours of biblical counseling. It's called Competence to Counsel, right? We provide that free to you at the church. Instead of binging Netflix, you could watch a 45-minute thing on biblical counseling, all right? And that will improve, all right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bang the drum early for Mike. Read your Bible. How, how do you get wise as you read your Bible? How, how do you get wise as you pray, Okay? And, and in the context of all that, you gain wisdom, and then we gain wisdom not to hold it, but we gain wisdom to give it to others. It's the same thing with comfort. The Bible says that when we're comforted by God, we're supposed to give that comfort to others, and it's the same way with wisdom. All right, and also I want to say, too, that I'm not, uh, I'm not denigrating the work of professional counselors, so... We've, I've referred people to places like Christ First Counseling. Uh, they've got some really stellar people there. I think there is a role for people who have a specialized experience, specialized understanding, some training. I totally believe that. But by and large, what I'm saying is the, the, the heavy lifting of counseling should occur by the people in this room, with the people in this room. So why I say counseling belongs inside the church is because even in a church, <coughs> even in a church our size, we're not a big church, but there's five elders, and what I think we try to do a good job. You guys maybe think differently, but we try to do a good job of staying on top of things. There, there is no way for us five to know what is going on with everybody at every time. It's, it's just impossible. We can't do it. There are not enough hours in the day. Right. So usually by the time Mike gets a call or I get a call, it's it's uh, we're talking it's the crisis situation. It's I can't figure this out or or I've got a problem or somebody I know has got a problem or or I'm the problem or whatever. But you guys are in groups together. Hopefully who's in a small group? Raise your hand if you're in a small group. Okay. So you see people on a weekly basis. 
Maybe some of you go out for coffee with each other. And in that interaction, you get, you get to know things that I don't get to know. You get to know what's going on in people's life. And here's the other thing, too. Not many of you are going to call me up and say, hey, let's go get coffee. Um, and then we're going to talk about, talk about your issues. You may call up and say, hey, I've got an issue. Can I talk to you? And let's go get coffee. But I guess there's a certain distance, not intentionally, but there's just a certain distance that we have uh, because I'm not in your life all the time, right? So the people that are in your life all the time are the ones that should be counseling. And, and that's why I say it belongs inside the church. Not that, not that you should never go to someplace like Christ first or not that you should never go to a professional counselor or anything like that. But by and large, it should take place in the context of the church because we are the ones, we are the ones who know each other better. And listen, who's got a vested interest in your well-being more than your family does? Right? Nobody. All right? I've got a, I've got a vested self-interest in your well-being, and so does everybody else in this room because we're all part of the family of Christ. So your well-being is my well-being, my well-being is your well-being is what I'm saying. So that's, we should all be doing those one another's inside the church. Okay, we're going to watch a video. It's by the late David Pallison. David was the executive director of the Christian Counseling Counseling Education Foundation. Too many acronyms. Okay, and he is going to talk about how Counseling and Practical Theology. We're going to watch the video, and then we're going to go into our group discussions. So when the video ends, we're going to go into group discussion number two. This was a question that didn't make it onto the study sheet. Completely my fault. I just missed it. Uh, And it's not necessarily one that you need to talk about in your groups, but it is one that I want you to think about because it's an action step. So let's watch the video. Counseling is the most practical theology. Counseling Counseling is the most practical theology. Preaching, teaching, sacraments, the public ministry, It sets it all out there. You're talking to crowds. You can proclaim. You can call people. The Holy Spirit works. It's one of the unique strengths of the the church. The quiet time, meditation, contemplation, pondering, reflecting, journaling, thinking, praying, private ministry is one of the glories of the church. We have a way to be by ourselves, and we have a way to be in a crowd. But... The fruit of those, as to whether they're worth the time and energy we put into them, is interpersonal ministry. Because it's an interpersonal ministry that you actually find out whether or not you know how to love people, whether or not you're wise. Wisdom is a social gift. Wisdom is a counseling gift. Uh, and I do like to push a little at, the, at preachers whom I deeply love, deeply respect. I'm really, I, I just gave a great shout out for the significance of public ministry. But I wish they'd give a shout out for the significance of counseling ministry. 
And one place I like to push is you look at the life of Jesus. We have four Gospels. I would say that the ratio of interpersonal interactions to preaching events is probably on the order of about 10 to 1. Jesus is a conversationalist. Jesus often, even when he preaches a sermon, it riffs off of what somebody said, or he says something and then he starts a conversation. Jesus engages people. He is, he is the counselor. And I think oftentimes people, counseling gets a bad name because it's so linked with secular versions of psychotherapy, stuck in an office, a professional, 50 minute hour, charging money, all, you know, the whole bit of professional counseling. But counseling with a biblical vision is just living life wisely. It's, it's caring about people in a way that connects to them and actually helps them. And um, that's what practical theology is. It's putting in the rivet between life lived and the living God and life-giving God. And conversation is where that most struts its stuff. Okay, so go ahead and go into your groups. We're going to take 15 minutes. Okay, hopefully those were fruitful discussions for you guys. Um, and I may send that question out just for you to think about. Okay, so this was uh, adapted from Paul David Tripp's book, Instruments in the Redeemer's Hands. If you haven't read it, I recommend you do read it. It's very good, very relational. This is not a model. So this is not you do step one, step two, step three, step four, and then you get good counseling results. So this is a framework for how you do the biblical one another type counseling. Most of the time when people want counseling or people come to, come to someone for answers, what they really want is they want symptom relief. Okay, I found that, and, and probably Mike would say the same thing. Uh, I want my husband to vacuum more. I want my wife to do this more. I want my kids to do this more. Uh, really what they want is they're, they're looking for behavior modification or they're looking for symptom relief. Something is causing me pain. I want it to go away. All right, and that's probably 90% of people. Uh, what I tell people is, why well, I, I can give you 10 steps to do this, and I can give you five steps to do that, and in three months, you're going to be right back here talking to me because you haven't changed at the heart level. Right? Heart change is lasting change which produces good fruit, and that, that is the goal of biblical counseling. We're not after symptom relief. We're not after behavior modification. We're after a changed heart, and we're going to talk in a little bit about how we get there, but... This is a framework for how you can work in somebody's life, minister, do that interpersonal ministry in somebody's life, which will, okay, I'm just going to give away my last part, right? So you can minister the word of God and the Holy Spirit causes the change. We're going to get into that more in detail. But we have a role to play and this is how we can do it. So I want to walk through I'm going to walk through each of these. Okay, love, which is the first one. Okay, so love is probably the critical ingredient to interpersonal ministry. 
if you don't love somebody, you're not going to be invested in helping them. You're not going to care about them. Really, you're, well, why do I want to help you fix your problem? Because I don't love you, and so whatever. Um, and it starts, it, it starts vertically, right? So God loved us. We love God. And out of that love, that love overflows into our love for other people. Right? We're, we're, all, we're all sinners in need of grace. And so it takes a supernatural love to minister to each other. Because we all do things that get on each other's nerves. We all do things that are, that are annoying. And so uh, it takes that love of Christ to overflow in our lives into other people's lives. And it's only in the context of loving relationships that lasting change can take place. What I mean by that is if you're in a place where you're known, where you're loved, then you're free to explore and to make those heart changes. If you're in an adversarial situation or you're not sure if somebody loves you or, or you're not sure of where you stand all the time, chances are you're not going to be willing to make those hard decisions and those hard choices that it takes for actual heart change to take place. So it's only in the context of loving I would maybe even say familial type covenantal relationships that any of that can take place. Whoop. Did we lose it? Okay. I don't know what happened. Reagan says you didn't touch anything. Okay. No. So Loving is critical. Knowing is probably the hardest part of this model. So knowing means knowing more than facts about a person. You can know a lot about somebody and not know that person. Even if you're in close proximity to that person. You can know tons of things about them, but you don't really know them. It's knowing the heart of a person. And, and it takes time and effort to develop those kinds of relationships. There's an old cliche, and it, it's true, but it says, you know, people won't care how much you know until they know how much you care, right? And that's true about somebody who's known. Somebody's not going to open up to you and tell you that they have an issue until they feel known. And honestly, you're not going to know how to help them until you know them a little bit better, why part of what initial counseling sessions are is just getting background, knowing somebody, asking good questions. But until you're known and you know somebody, it's very difficult to speak into their lives. One, because there has to be a level of trust, there has to be a level of rapport uh, between the two people. And if you don't know somebody, you're just not able to do that very well. And it's also, it, it's critical because, you know, we can come here for an hour on a Sunday or two hours on a Sunday and we can say, hey, how you doing? Everything's great. Oh, yeah. And, and the reality is you're a train wreck, right? The reality is you haven't spoken to your wife or your, or your husband or your kids in weeks or when you do speak, you're fighting or uh, you're just doubting your faith or whatever. But at church, everything's great and, and we're high-fiving each other and back-slapping and and things are good. 
And the reality is they're not. And so you have to be in a relationship where you're known. It's one of the reasons we promote small groups. Get into a small group. If you're not in one, get in one. If you're in one, be open and honest with the people that you're in that small group with. Don't hide anything, all right? Because it's vital to your spiritual health, to the spiritual health of the body, for us to know each other and for us to have that type of relationship. Okay, speak. And this one's easy for us, right? Because we all like to speak. We all have opinions. Well, I, I'll tell you exactly what you should do. And, and this is how you should do it. All right? That's not what I'm talking about. When you speak, you're applying the truth of God's word to this situation at hand. On my own, I don't have any wisdom to give you. If, if you come to me for counseling, on my own, I don't have any wisdom to give you. I can tell you what God's word says about a certain situation, but that's not my wisdom. That's God's wisdom. And what you're doing is you're helping helping a friend or, or whoever to see from God's word what they are unable to see for themselves. Okay? We, we get in situations and we're like this. We can't, we can't see anything. And, and the job of a friend or a job of a counselor is to help, help them see what they can't see. And then this is critical. It's helping them see themselves in light of the gospel. Who are you in relationship to the gospel. What what does God say about your life in relationship to the gospel? Um, if you're counseling a believer, if you're counseling an unbeliever, I don't have anything to give an unbeliever because all wisdom is, is there's only wisdom. The first thing I would do is if you don't believe the gospel, well, then that's, that's where we need to start because everything else uh, proceeds from that. All right, we're going to talk about do in a minute, but this is where I want to jump out. I want to talk about the role of the Holy Spirit and the role of the Bible in counseling. Okay, so the writer of Hebrews uh, tells us that the word of God is living and active. I don't know what translation I got that from. Uh, living and effective. I guess that's okay. Living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword, penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, it is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Right? Scripture can do things. Have you ever read a passage of Scripture and you are just cut to the quick? God reveals something in your life and you're like, you've been struggling with something and all of a sudden you open up your Bible and it's just like lightning. Right? That is the Word of God. And that is what a biblical counselor can bring to bear on your situation. And then the other part is the counselor, the Holy Spirit. We can't make people do things. Right? The most skilled counselor can't make anyone do anything. But God's Spirit can make someone do something. God's Spirit can change someone's heart. And so the good news for you is if you're counseling, you're not the primary counselor. The Holy Spirit is the primary counselor. So a lot of times what your job is, is to pray. Pray for God's Spirit to open up their heart to see things in their word. And a lot of times, too, I'll be talking to somebody, and as I'm talking and I'm listening, I'm praying. God, would you give me a scripture? 
sometimes I'll know ahead of time what their what the issue is, and I'll kind of think through scriptures. But a lot of times in the moment, it's God, would you give would you give me something from your word for this person's situation? And then Holy Spirit, would you make it come alive in that person? And it's amazing what happens. God gives you something, and it's like, well, I don't know where I pulled that from. And you minister that scripture to somebody, and the Holy Spirit takes that and just does something crazy in somebody's life. And that that is the payoff. It's like, have you guys, I don't know if you golf, right? Whatever. Uh, you'll hit that chip shot, and it's that's what keeps you coming back, right? Because you hit it, and it's on the green. It rolls toward the pin. There's no golfers in here. I'm a very bad golfer, but. But that's what keeps you coming back to counseling is when you see God showing up, you see God doing things. And listen, guys, that takes the pressure off of you, right? Because you're not the primary counselor. You're not, if you go into this thinking, I've got to give this person something so that they can change, you're going in with the wrong attitude. If you're going in as I'm an ambassador of Christ and I'm going to minister God's word and God's spirit is going to show up and do something in this person's life, that's what you want to do for counseling. All right. And this, this is kind of a graphic representation of that. Right? This is what the, the rest of that would look for. So let me see if I can um, let me see if I can quickly put this together for you. Okay, so uh, husband and wife come to you and and we're just gonna pick on husbands for a little bit. Uh, husband and wife come to you, and she wants him to help around the help out around the house more, to be more affectionate, and to be more communicative. All right. So what do you do? You pull out your you pull out your Simbus notebook, and you're like, okay, well here's the communication steps you need to take, and and do this, and practice this, and this, and this, and this, and they go home, and and everything's good, right? You've done your job. You've, you've maybe you've even used Ephesians, and you've said, well, you know. You know, marriage is a picture of Christ and the church, and so you should do those things to your husband or whatever. And so you've been a spiritual counselor, right? Have you done anything? No, because what was, what was the husband's need? The husband's need wasn't necessarily to learn 10 steps to communicate better with his wife. The husband's need wasn't to, to learn how to be affectionate. What? It's for him to understand that he's selfish, that, that he's, he's not God, that he's not entitled to be served, but he's to serve. I said we're going to pick on husbands, which we are. All right? So instead, you could say, uh, you know, well, Philippians 2 says that we're to have the same attitude as Christ had, who humbled himself by becoming a servant. He didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself. And Paul says we're to have that same, no matter what your relationship is, we're to have that same attitude. You know, uh, he says, don't be embittered with your wife. Live with your wife in an understanding manner. Okay? And then it's not 10 steps to do this, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but it's ministering God's word, which the Holy Spirit hopefully will take and minister to that person and change their heart. And you're going to get lasting change that way. So I'm, I'm not against 10 steps. But that's not that's not enough. Yes. No. 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 <laughs> okay. And then do. 
so it's going back. So we, we took a little we took a little interlude, and now we're back at do. Um, you have to do something, right? There, there is no try. There is do or do not, as the great theologian Yoda says. Um, at some point, the rubber has to hit the road. At some point, you have to stop trying, and you have to do. At some point, and so the job of a counselor maybe is to help whoever you're counseling to do those things, to give them the courage to, to do, right? Because sometimes people, I know what I need to do. I just, I can't do it. And so you come alongside them and you give them the courage and you give them the push to do those things that, that they know they need to do. Okay, we have like two minutes for questions. Uh, I know that was a lot. Um, I was like, oh, confused. Um, all right, so any questions, comments? If not, you can hit me up later, or you can email me, and or you can come for counseling. Counseling is open. Um. Here? You mean in the context of a small group or the context of asking me or another elder? Or I mean, if you want to talk to me, look me up in Breeze or and call me and say, hey, I'm, I've got this and I want to go get coffee or I want to go get a beer or... or Sorry, I want to go get an adult beverage or, um, <laughs> hey, some of the best counseling takes place over a beer, actually, so, no, my mom's in the audience, I shouldn't have said that, sorry, <laughs> I'll probably need counseling later, but I, I think it's just, you know, hopefully that you have built a relationship with somebody that you feel comfortable or that you can say, hey, I'm, ha I'm struggling with this, or, or I have a question about this, can we talk, can we, can we meet, can we, um, can we discuss this? Um, yeah. I mean, if you're calling one of, the, one of the elders, typically we'll ask, hey, what's going on? Can you, can you give us a little bit of background, set up some time to meet? <coughs> You know, if it's a more formalized counseling setting, we might ask for some information. But really, it's it's pretty low threat. If you just want to talk, you know, you know, go get coffee or something and and talk. So. Okay. So the question is, where do where do you draw the line as to somebody? Um, somebody needs professional counseling. I would I would say it's kind of arbitrary. It depends on you. Um, you know your skill as a counselor, your experience as a counselor, your their comfort with you as to where you refer somebody. So like I'm would probably refer somebody 
who comes to me with abuse or something because I don't have a ton of experience about it with it and so I would probably refer that but I think it's just kind of dependent on your comfort level and and your skill I don't I don't know that I would automatically refer I don't know Michael I, I don't know that there's something I'd automatically say I refer you for that or not I think it's just I think too what what typically happens is you you know you'll talk to somebody and you'll counsel somebody and you're and after five or six times you're like this I'm not getting through to you or this is not you're not listening to me or this is not an effective relationship or I'm just not able to give you what you need for whatever reason so I'm going to refer you to somebody else maybe that's another elder or maybe that's somebody outside the church so I don't know that there's anything you know I don't know there's a hard and fast line I always refer for this I think it's based on comfort and experience as to what what you're you know and and one thing I'll say and then this is the last comment you know we didn't have time to get into really the sufficiency of scripture but scripture is sufficient for any okay correct me if I'm wrong I'm looking at Mike for any non-organic issue a person faces. So there are things that I would say are either chemical imbalances or hormonal imbalances or, or things like that, which you should go get medicine for or you should go get something for. Not that scripture is silent on those issues, but scripture doesn't specifically talk about those things. But if you're talking about depression or anxiety or forgiveness or anger, Scripture is replete, I mean replete with things that can help you work through those issues. You know, people that have had a traumatic brain injury or something like that, obviously you need to go get medical help. But we give Scripture really short shrift about what it can accomplish. And, and particularly because we're Scripture is supernatural and the Holy Spirit is the one doing the counseling. So it's amazing what those two can do in somebody's life so but there are things I would say it, yeah I would say that you know if, if you have a chemical imbalance or you have something then by all means God gave us the common grace of medicine avail yourself of that and maybe it's in conju conjunction with an antidepressant in scripture but uh, so I those there are things but for something that is not clearly a medical issue. Scripture is completely sufficient to counsel in almost any issue, right? Because again, we're talking about somebody's heart. We're not talking about symptom relief. We're talking about actually solving the problem. When I go to a doctor, I want him to f diagnose what's wrong with me and fix it. You know, maybe I want symptom relief too, but uh, really I want a cure. And Scripture is the only, the only, Scripture and the Holy Spirit are the only ones that can cure somebody. Um, Completely. So, all right. Any other questions? Sorry, guys. That was a lot of information. I that was like a fire hose. I apologize. Uh, next week is going to be fun. So next week, uh, I'm going to have some counseling situations for you. So I am going to give you some scenarios, and you guys are going to counsel people through those scenarios, and it's going to be tons of fun. So let me pray for us, and then we'll be dismissed and go to service. Father, thank you that uh, that uh, you are the counselor. You are 
uh, the one who loves us, who shepherds our souls, and we just praise you for that. Father, thank you that you gave your word, which is sufficient. Uh, you gave your spirit, which guides us into all truth. Thank you to God that you gave us each other uh, to counsel, to exhort, to reprove, to do all those one another things. And God, would you just help us to, to live those out? Would you help us to um, seek out those opportunities to love one another well, uh, to serve one another well, and just to be the people that you've called us to be? Uh, Father, uh, be with our hearts and our minds and as we go to worship and just let us honor you. In your beautiful name we ask it. Amen. Thanks, guys.